You're listening to the GP Supervision Australia podcast, Remote Supervision, Better Access to Care for Rural and Remote Communities, presented by Associate Professor Jill Benson AM and Dr. Coralie Endine. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which this recording was produced and pay our respects to their elders past, present, future and their families. Hi everybody, I'm Jill Benson. I'm in Adelaide. I've been a GP for 45 years, mostly working in Aboriginal health, refugee health, doctor's health. I've worked a lot overseas and as an academic, I'm currently with Tim Linton. We're the two national lead medical educators for remote supervision for the RACGP. And I also work with the RACGP in the Northern Territory as a senior medical educator. I bring to this as well my academic sort of brain. So I have all those roles currently. So I'm Coralie. I'm a Rural Generalist from Stanthorpe, which is a little town on the border of New South Wales and Queensland. I have ASTs in surgery, ONG and ED, and I'm a dual fellow with RICGP and ACRAM. And I had lots of other hats, too numerous to mention, but including National Medical Educator with ACRAM for supervised liaison officers. So we're supporting our regional supervised liaison officers. And I'm also a medical educator across Australia, but also specifically for Queensland. We're talking about supervision where the supervisor is remote to the registrar. So it doesn't have to be in a remote location. It can be in a rural, in a regional or remote location. I guess you could do it in an urban location, but that's probably not what we're talking about. But we're talking about when the supervisor is remote from the registrar. There are often times when there's a blended model, when the supervisor and the registrar are together. What we want is we want whatever we do, we want training to be safe for the patients. We want the training to be good for the registrar and we want the registrar to be safe. So they're the aims that both colleges have. So what we want them to do, no matter where they are, is to have that. And we want them to do that even when there's no supervisor on site or where there's only limited supervision. So we started this work at the beginning of 2021. And the reason I talked about being an academic is that I did a big international and national literature review. I talked to the previous training organisations and got their input about what sort of remote supervision they were already doing. We had stakeholders. We had a steering committee. We then interviewed 50 people. We didn't aim to interview 50 people, but there were 50 people who felt like they needed to be interviewed. So that was supervisors, it was registrars, it was experts, both from in Australia and overseas. It was medical educators, it was practices, it was a lot of people. And we had a a really wonderful expert advisory committee who helped us develop this. We then wrote the guidelines, we piloted them, 
in two places. We evaluated them, we revised them based on that evaluation, and we actually had ethics approval for the evaluation. So that's just being looked at by a journal to be published. The guidelines in there have now been put up onto the RACGP website as they've been approved by all the different layers of people, including the Council of Censors. The aim of these guidelines is to be just that, guidelines. These are not rules. They're designed to be flexible, and it's really important that they be contextualised to each location and to each registrar and to each supervisor as well, because supervisors have a life and sometimes you need two, sometimes even three supervisors to make sure that the registrar has the best supervision that we can possibly get. So we want to make sure that the location is right. We want to make sure that the supervisor is good and appropriate and effective. And we want to make sure that the registrar is suitable. So over to you, Coralie. ACRM had a very similar process to the RICGP in guideline development, but it was instead of being informed by a study, we were informed by existing supervision arrangements that we had, but we had to formalise those in the lead up to college lead training, which is what we did. And we did that after discussion with all the stakeholders involved. And the guidelines design brief was a little bit different in as much as it was robust and agile, similar to the RACGP model, but it was customised to the practice and registrar. In particular, it's tailored to each registrar. So it's registrar-centric, described a little bit easier when we go through the different models in more detail. Central to this model of supervision, I've got to say, is identification of workforce concerns and getting the right registrar with the right skill set into those positions and a supervisor that's contextualised to the practice. So that's normally someone who's either worked at the practice before or worked in the area. Or if that's not possible, an experienced remote supervisor can be an alternative and for people like IP registrars, they're readily utilising this out in remote settings, so in sixes and sevens. So there's three pathways in ACRAM. There is the AGPT, which RACGP also has. There's the RGTS, which has got a really rural focus and it's a little bit more like the rural vocational training scheme and it's fully funded. And then there's the IP program. It's the independent pathway, which is funded by the registrar bit like PEP, is that right, Jill? Well, it's a bit like FSP now, the Fellowship Support Program. Yeah, so there's a, a Fellowship Support Program, which is what used to be PEP. And everybody in the Fellowship Support Program with the RACGP, which is the self-funded program, also has a supervisor. And a few of those are remote and they use similar guidelines, but mostly those supervisors are face-to-face. So the key components. So we want to make sure the site is appropriate. We want to make sure that the supervisor is accredited. So the site obviously has to be accredited for RECGP accreditation. And then there's just a few more things to do on top of that. Similarly, the supervisor is accredited as an RACGP supervisor. And I'll talk about the few extra things the supervisor has to do to be accredited. Then we select the supervisor and the registrar for the particular place, and that's quite a specific process, and that's called a CRISP, a Contextualised Remote Supervision Placement Process. We really think it's important that we think about the risks in each place, the risk management plan that we put together. 
There's then a placement plan that is, again, contextualised to each individual place. There's an on-site team, and so that might include other GPs. It might include regular GPs who don't want to be supervisors. It might include locums. It might include fly-in, fly-out other people. It'll include Aboriginal health workers, nurses, pharmacists, a whole lot of other people that are part of that on-site team. The literature tells us that any sort of educational relationship is going to be better when it's off-site if there's been some on-site time together. So we built into our process a up to two-week face-to-face orientation period where the supervisor and the registrar are in the practice together. The supervisor is mostly supernumerary, but they, in that time, build up that educational alliance, which is so important. And then there's the process of remote supervision and how that's going to work in this particular context. The differences between face-to-face supervision and remote supervision is the CRISP, the selection, the careful selection, the supervisor and the registrar. The development of the risk management matrix, the orientation period, the team, the communication strategies, and then we pay people. So because of the increased time that we think remote supervision requires, there's additional payment for off-site supervision, and that includes teaching, it includes supporting, includes all the assessments. So the RSCGP has generously used flexible funds to fund all of these things. And now Coralie will tell you about hers. Yes. So for ACRAM, we've got the ACRAM Supervisors and Training Post Standards and the remote supervision guidelines just sit within that. They provide further instruction on best practice approaches to delivering remote training to ACRAM registrars in geographically distant locations. And the ACRAM accreditation standards uh, currently define the requirements for all training posts under um, the scope of the ACRAM RG curriculum. So it basically means that if you're accredited, you're accredited. There's no different accreditation for us, nor is there any difference for the ACRAM supervisors either. So if you've been an ACRAM supervisor and you've been a remote supervisor before, we wouldn't particularly offer you that two-week education journey that RSCGP was offering unless you thought you needed it. And we do have funds for that. You must, under the college-led training requirements, we have to continue to meet all of the ACRAM standards that we have in existence. And it's just a continuum, really, from wholly supervised to wholly not supervised or off-site supervision. There are a number of models of remote supervision. So there's remote, completely remote supervision. There's blended supervision where you might have remote part of the time or on-site some of the time. There's satellite supervision where you might have a, a satellite clinic. There's group supervision and supervisor leave cover, and they're all included under the banner of remote supervision. The only thing I have to say about that is that under all of these models, a remote supervisor has to be available at all times for urgent calls, as well as for the scheduled education and supervisor sessions. Having said that, it says a remote supervisor, so there's a primary supervisor, and as Jill was talking about, you can have a secondary supervisor or you can have other people supervising it, as long as the registrar is aware of who's doing that. Thanks, Jill. Thank you. And I get to talk about the CRISP now and some of the training science stuff. So as I said, this is not rocket science. So eligibility is that there isn't an accredited supervisor on site, that there is a proper room, that this housing is safe, 
because in some areas, housing is the rate limiting step to being in a rural or remote area. There's good, reliable IT connectivity. And we've actually said we can't accredit somewhere that didn't have good Wi-Fi because that's so important for the whole process to work. On the other hand, we accredited somewhere way out in the middle of nowhere where they had Starlink in every doctor's house and in every clinic, which meant that they had better IT connectivity than a lot of places. The the practice also needs to help with the establishment of that on-site team and to know who's likely to be in that team. So they're the the training site. There's a, a document that goes with that, with tick boxes. The people at the training site also help with the risk management planning because some of the risks are going to be unsafe housing. We want to have some idea if the internet is going down. Are we going to have hard copies of ETG, for instance? Things like that. Usually there's a site visit by the accreditation team, but sometimes that's not possible and it can be done remotely if it's an already established practice. My risk management planning matrix, for those of you who are thinking it was going to be something with lots of pretty colours, it really is just some boxes with the potential risks that we worry about. We worry about the registrar's safety and wellbeing. We worry about that relationship. That's why we have that two weeks together at the beginning because we think that relationship is pivotal to the success of remote supervision. We worry about the training pathway for the registrar and all the things that go with that. And then we worry about the environment and the training site. So we want to know what the risk might be, what the potential consequences, and we want to know what you people have thought about as far as management of that goes. So there's some examples on the website. You can't predict everything. So in our two pilot places, one had a cyclone and the other had a flood. Now, that was not on our risk management planning table, but everybody coped really well. Similarly, there's a supervisor selection and accreditation. We want people to have experience and competence as a supervisor. It's really important that they have a working knowledge of the proposed location or, you know, something incredibly similar. They need to be available to go for that two-week period at the beginning and then at another time if that's appropriate. They need to be able to use this practice software and to manage the IT connectivity and they need to be committed and happy to do this. So Tim and I work with the supervisor. We ask them some questions as part of this CRISP. We've written a remote supervision online module that is available in GP Learning that really takes you through the sorts of things that we're we're thinking about, but just some tips about how to do remote supervision so that it's successful. And we make sure everything, all the ducks are lined up and Bob's your uncle. Can I uh, put a plug in for that, Jill? It's actually excellent. And what struck me was so much of what you present in that online module and indeed are presenting now really should be just 
what we should be doing with every placement effectively. You know, I know there's a layer of complexity and, and important other things, and that's what you're addressing tonight. But some of these basic things about good orientation and and indeed risk assessment and getting a sense of the registrar's competence and matching skills with needs, this is common and garden supervision. And I mean, I think there's always a question about is it less safe? But in fact, what you're applying here is, is just what we should be doing in all settings with some extra supports. And indeed, it's in some respects probably safer, as I think you and Tim and, and Coralie would say. There was a question that I might just ask, just because it was in terms of the risk assessment and from Sue, is patient safety included in the risk assessment, I guess, a direct, explicit? Absolutely. So if you read the whole document, the patient safety is the overarching thing. So, you know, that's that's our aim is patient safety. So obviously there's good research that says if the registrar's not feeling safe, patient safety will be compromised. If the training's not good, the patient safety is going to be compromised. If there's conflict between the registrar and the supervisor, the patient safety will suffer and if there are environmental things that happen. So the patient safety is the umbrella that everything else sits under. So ACRAM has risk assessment matrix for every accreditation, for every practice. So we don't make exceptions for rural or remote or, or change that. It's just within the uh, normal accreditation process. Anywho, when we look at supervisor selection and accreditation, basically there is an online remote supervision accreditation form that is is in development. I think it might be going live within the next two weeks. Otherwise, it's just a paper form that you can download. It applies the ACRAM standard accreditation application form and it steps out arrangements whereby the registrar and the primary supervisor only have an agreement together about how the placement is going to work. It must include what is going to happen when the supervisor is not on site. The remote supervisors must be accredited. They must have remote supervision experience and agree to their role within the supervision plan. And supervisors and local personnel must have ready access to support from ACRAM. So the way this works is that when you put that formwork in, the training officers, potentially the practice liaison officers and the medical educators will contact the supervisor and see how much or how little support they want. So some of them are very experienced supervisors and won't require a lot of assistance, but might require assistance for the medical educator to learn a little bit more about their registrar, sometimes in a three-way chat, or sometimes they're known to each other already. That is the registrar and the supervisor, and they don't need that sort of introduction so ACRAM is much more about sitting down and yarning and then just working out how we can assist rather than a prescriptive two-week block. We talk about local personnel as well, and I think Jill touched on this. So some of the places that we send our registrars to, they don't have anyone other than perhaps a cultural safety officer, maybe a nurse, be a rural nurse with rural experience, and they might potentially be the person to contact locally. And they do have clearly defined responsibilities, though, and that all goes into the supervisor plan and support plan. There is also a requirement for Aboriginal cultural state islander cultural awareness and cultural safety to be addressed in that training plan. And there are some education programs that you can undertake. So we've got quite a few modules available online. Right, then we want to talk about supervisor selection and accreditation There is a a team in each region. When I say region, it's each state, really. And each state has a regional director of training. We've got a training network coordinator, 
registrar and supervisor liaison officer training officers and they provide direct support to registrars alongside the registrar's supervisor and medical educator. One thing I would like to point out, though, is that where practices wish to be accredited by both ACRAM and RACGP, we will collaboratively manage this with RACGP because we don't want unnecessary duplication. So should a practice already be accredited with RACGP, we would not ask you to do that again except we would ask you to fill in the form work still. It's an online form just for the supervisor of that particular registrar, if that makes sense. This is the key personnel for every remote supervised placement. So the registrar, so obviously one of the most important people here is the registrar. We like people to be GPT-2, so at least in their second term of their general practice training. We want them to know that they're going to be supervised remotely. And then we want them to have certain personal characteristics. We want them to be able to utilise feedback. We want them to be able to communicate well. And we have some other things that we would like, including cultural awareness. The way we've chosen to do this is to have a document, obviously, but we've written some scenarios that the supervisor and the practice contextualised to their location and those scenarios are presented in an interview process with the supervisor, the registrar and either Tim or myself to have a discussion, another crisp, to find out what the registrar would do. So it's not an exam, it's a gap analysis. So does this registrar need some more cultural awareness training? Do they need another super duper ALS course? Do they need palliative care? Do they need drug and alcohol? Do we need to discuss some of the issues of a small town that might be a problem for confidentiality and boundaries? So their answers will help us work out the gaps for this registrar. Obviously, there might be some people that you just go, oh, no, they need to have another term before they're ready for remote supervision. But this process is, as Coralie beautifully put it, a yarn. It's one of the registrars in the pilot said, I was expecting a formal interview and it wasn't. It was more of a chat. So it's a good way of everybody working together to make sure this registrar is appropriate. I'm looking forward to what this means, Coralie. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, well, who will get remote supervision or who will automatically get remote supervision? So if you're a brand new registrar with no GP experience at all, that we'd expect probably that you'd need 100% on-site supervision. But if you've got someone with a higher skill mix, uh, high level of confidence and able to handle complex patients, they'll probably be okay for remote supervision. The supervisor has to be available at all times. What I would say, though, that this is more like a pirate's code, right? So it's a code or a guideline more than an exact science. So you might have a registrar, for instance, that had previously done a fellowship in, say, ASIM fellowship or something that that clearly has experience and ability to practice by themselves. And that isn't unusual in ACRAM. A lot of people go for dual fellowships or often have one fellowships and then go for an ACRAM fellowship. So those people might be considered. We might have a registrar that, has got fantastic supervisor reports that say, you know, this bloke's levels above his pay grade and his level of training. And we recommend that he be allowed to do this. And that's fine. We might have someone that has 
you know, passed most of their exams and is but just sitting to do training time. And in addition to which, if you think about the sort of experiences they have, some of these experiences might be critical for some registrars, especially if they're interested in doing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander fellowship, or ASD, I should say. If your registrar doesn't fall into these categories, what we suggest you do is just get in contact for initially with the medical educator for that registrar, but then probably a supervisor liaison officer for your state, and they can put together, they can have a chat with the registrar. The medical educator has already identified the gaps. We do that as a part of our plan and progress report every six months, and they can let you know how to tailor a plan that would be suitable for that registrar. Thanks. So money, as I said, the RACGP has put funding into this from their flexible funds. So as well as the national consistent payments, registrars who are doing AGPT are eligible for these additional funds. If they're in an area of workforce need, that's MMM 6 and 7. So there's Aboriginal health placements that are outside that MMM 6 and 7 that might be also eligible. And we can help set up remote supervision in other places, but they won't necessarily get the flexible funding. So there's the workforce need, there's the MMM 6 and 7, there's Aboriginal health, and then there's us helping set it up. So we pay the supervisor to be two weeks on site. If there's already a relationship between the supervisor and the registrar, if the registrar's continuing in that place and the supervisor's now off-site, for instance, as has happened, if the registrar is coming back to a place, there's a whole lot of scenarios when that doesn't happen. If there's two supervisors, they can do one week each, variety of different scenarios. We then, on top of the NCP allowance, we top that up so that it's three to four hours a week for the supervisor. So in the fourth term, for instance, when there's no NCP, NCP is the National Consistent Payments, we top that up with the flexible funds up to three hours a week. We then pay for visits for the supervisor to come and visit the registrar as well. So that remote supervision time, that three to four hours a week, in that the supervisor is expected to do the ad hoc sort of stuff, is expected to do at least an hour of teaching time, to do some case-based discussions, random case analysis, also to do the assessments that are needed, so the mini CEXs, those sorts of things. So all of that comes within that three hours a week. Over to you, Coralie. Thanks. So Akram's got two pools of money, but the same idea, though. It's through the National Consistent Payments Framework. We just applied it a little bit differently, but we hope in future to actually further align the colleges together. So that's a discussion in progress at the moment. Basically, what I would say is that it's done on remoteness, so practice payment. So there's the additional support allowances that allows approved practices to provide additional supervision for teaching registrars in difficulty and for ACRAM approved support plans. But the other payments are basically just payments that are made every quarter. You have to set up a Proder account to do that. The more remote you are, the better. So the other thing of note is you were talking, Jill, about the salary support as well. 
for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander placements. So AGPT registrars eligible for that. And Jill and I just recently had an issue with Nullumboy where we had quite a few ACRM registrars wanting to go up there, but they were on the Rural Generalist Training Scheme, which it's only the AGPT scheme that is actually eligible for that salary support. So ACRM has recently asked the federal government to um, make a consistent payment, which they're going to do. So RGTS and AGPT. And I don't know about RBTS, but it'd be nice to know they were also eligible for salary support. you think they would be. So what the supervisors get, it's a sliding scale depending on remoteness. It's the only time I really that it pays to be elsewhere. And that's just being mindful of the fact that it costs you more to get places and it costs you time as well as the distance required to get there. We also have a work-based assessment, so $300 per activity to the site. And we have a teaching allowance as well. And there's an additional teaching allowance there for other people like secondary supervisors. Thanks, Jill. So to formalise the remote supervision placement, we do all those things that we've talked about. We want to know if you're thinking of going on leave and who's going to look after the registrar when you're on leave. We want a really solid emergency and escalation process that is written down and that everybody agrees on. Sometimes the supervisor who has not seen a particular place, like they've worked in remote Northern Territory, for instance, but they've never actually been to larger Manu, they can have a potential site visit. We prefer they did a locum there to actually get some inner workings of how the place works. And it may be that the supervisor needs a Medicare provider number to help, but that's in that two-week orientation period or when they're doing that potential site visit. And that's something that needs to be discussed with the practice. Ideally, it'd be good to have remote access to the patient software, but that's not always possible. And then we're here to help you. So Tim and Hannah, who is our remote supervision manager and me, we're here, we're the team, and we can help with things as well. The remote supervision and training plan is approved by the registrar ME and the state director of training. And it includes an orientation plan, the plan for supervision and teaching. It's both a training plan and a teaching plan. They're different things. So the training plan looks at the gaps and the teaching plan is just the general teaching that you do every week. Uh, you need a form that lists on-site team and community contacts. You need a supervision roster that includes your secondary supervisors and what you want to do for leave cover. And it also includes an emergency escalation process. We often do site visits. And if you're a new practice setting up, we probably, you know, we did all the accreditation site visit. We often do other site visits too. And that can be if there's an issue, if the registrar raises an issue or if you, if you need help. And then you can also get support from the remote supervision team as needed. And that can either be quite intrusive, that's what you want, or as little as you need. So I just wanted to touch on the emergency escalation process in Akram. So it's a really clear escalation pathway and it's outlined as a requirement of the registrar's agreed training plan. And it's actually in the training plan. You get to add your extra bits in, but it's actually there as part of the training plan. So the registrars need to have an alternative point of supervision reference and a contact as part of this plan. And if a registrar feels that the supervision is somewhat suboptimal, either not available or not providing adequate support, they report this confidentially to their training officer or medical educator. 
and they'll support the registrar to remediate this in the appropriate way. And that might entail conversations with the supervisor liaison officer who would support the practice and potentially the supervisor if they needed additional help to modify the training process or the support for the registrar. People often ask, how does this begin? So it doesn't necessarily begin at the beginning. So sometimes it's the practice that tells us that they need remote supervision. Sometimes it's the supervisor that says they're about to retire. Sometimes it's the registrar who says, I want to work in this place and there's no supervision. Sometimes it's the owner of a group of practice that says there's no supervisor in this area and we'd like a registrar to go out there. Sometimes it's the RACGP director of training or the local team. Sometimes it's the PHN. All sorts of people ask us to be involved and say, what do you think about this as an idea for remote supervision in this place? Where it actually starts is depends on where it, it comes from. And those registrars felt that this was better than any face-to-face supervision that they'd had. They felt that this was going to help registrars go to places that were places that might not normally be able to have registrars for a variety of reasons. As supervisors said, they were confident that this process was going to make sure that the location and the supervisor and the registrar all matched up. So we're very pleased with the evaluation and the full guidelines are now in the public domain. Yeah, we've got a section on our website devoted to remote supervision. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Coralie. Just a couple of things before we kind of wrap things up. There was a question about developing relationships between urban practices and rural remote settings. You know, less rural setting, the thought of developing a relationship with another practice or another community somewhere and then dipping in and out, supporting registrars, is hugely exciting. So There was an RSCGP program called Practice to Practice that did exactly that. It was very difficult logistically to organise and to maintain. And so I think if you're interested in that, I suggest you find a place that you would be interested in going to, Catherine West, you know, Port Hedland, that looks exciting and interesting, Nullamboy, and do a locum there and build up a relationship with the practice as an urban GP. I think that would be the way to begin that and to build up that relationship. It's not something that someone from the outside can really organise for you. I think it's something you need to find a place that feels good to you and do that. And then, as before, it's about relationship. It's about the relationships with that community. It's about you having the skills that suit that community And only you and the community are going to be able to know that before you decide that that's the place that your urban centre wants to go to. Mm. Can I just put a plug for that, though? I've just done some research looking at diversity in general practice. And for a lot of city GPs who who are burnt out, who are feeling like they're sort of stuck in a lot of bureaucracy that can sometimes happen in cities, Working to your values for just one day a week decreases your risk of burnout, improves your well-being and keeps you in the profession longer. So can I just agree with all those wonderful ideas about going somewhere? 
fall in love with the red earth, fall in mm. love with the rainforest. There's lots of wonderful places to go. I was just going to give a plug for you, Simon, and say that communities of practice are really important. And in order to to know what's out there, you don't know what you don't know. So I reckon if, if you were going to do a rural remote supervision platform, uh, GPSA would be the people to host it. So we have developed a community platform. It is not rocket science. It's just a mechanism for people to communicate in groups, either small regional groups or larger groups or indeed nationally to all supervisors or practice managers or whoever that might be, Aboriginal health, other sort of craft groups is there for you. So we'd really encourage people having a look at the site and joining. Comment about maybe the supervisors need a supervisor navigator for to navigate the process. I must say, you know, when one looks at it, seems like there's a lot. And of course, that would speak to the importance of getting it right, importance of protecting the community, of making sure the registrar has a good experience, of making robust supervision. But I'm guessing both of you would just recommend speaking to the appropriate people and allowing that to happen. The supervisor liaison officer in your state and have a chat. That's what I would recommend. No, I was going to say that's a great idea. Or, you know, we've been supervisors, so it's something we're interested in doing. I just read the long question about the GPs who are feeling tired and burnt out, or as one slightly grumpy GP said, I just don't want to do all your paperwork. Can't you find someone else to do it? And a good GP who was happy to do the ad hoc stuff but didn't want to do the assessments and the paperwork. So we have a remote supervisor who's doing the two-week orientation, doing the teaching, doing the paperwork, and that person has a relationship with the registrar as well. But there's a secondary supervisor on site who does the ad hoc stuff. That supervisor found that very supportive, so supportive he decided not to retire after all and to stay there. So the supervisor stays accredited for the site, and if another registrar comes into that site, you do the process for the registrar again, but not for the supervisor. Will all supervisors be rural generalists able to support the registrars? They might be a Tassie doctor supervisor. They don't need to be a rural generalist unless they need to be a rural generalist, really. All of ours are rural generalists. So, But, I mean, obviously you can have an RACGP supervisor, remote supervisor for Akron potentially as well. And you can have an Akron supervisor for an RACGP too. Yes, that's, that's a good point to end on. So thank you so much, Jill. Thank you so much, Coralie. Thanks for listening. We'd love your feedback. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and or a review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your colleagues. If you'd like to ask a question or suggest a topic, you can reach out to us via our social channels. Simply search GP Supervision Australia on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter. GP Supervision Australia is supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Australian General Practice Training Programme.